Thank you. 
Good evening and thanks for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. My name is Sham doing the tech today. Oh, that was a track, Song One, by the artist John J.H.W. Weilacher. Thank you very much, John, for uh, well, letting us play some of your, your tracks. This is from the album Living Room Live Recordings, recorded right here in Maastricht at the J.H.W. slash U-R-O-H-M studio. So once again, massive shout out and thanks to John uh, for the for the track. We'll be hearing more of that uh, during the show. Before we proceed, also massive shout out to F.H333 for the, for the graphic design for this episode. And in this episode today, we have five students from Bachelor of Digital Society talking about the quantified self. Maybe I, sh- I should let you introduce it yourself, yes. uh, Tara. Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm Tara. It's good to be back, first of all. Thanks for having us. Uh, Yes, we are a group of five Bachelor of Digital Society students from the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences. uh, And we are here to talk about the quantified self. It's the name of our um, product for Marble. That's Maastricht Research-Based Learning Program. Uh, And there we spent a few months talking about self-tracking, which is basically recording information about patterns in behavior, some practices, activities, everything from counting steps to mood, sleep patterns, and so on. Uh, So we will share our insights with you all today. Um, And as we said, we are are five. So I'm Tara. I'm joined by Pascala and Yete in the first hour. In the second hour, we will have Clara, Justine, and I. Um, And we kind of divided uh, the topic into two parts of personal experiences, advantages and disadvantages of self-tracking and what happens when we stop self-tracking. And in the other part, we focus more on data and companies uh, when it comes to self-tracking. So that'll be in the second hour. Uh, Exactly. All right. All right. And uh, do you want to quickly introduce yourselves as well? Yeah, sure. My name is Jette. I'm 20 years old. Um, Yeah, digital society student. Um, and yeah, in this Marble program, my personal focus was um, on the impact self-tracking has on our intuitive thinking abilities. Um, and yeah, we are going to talk about that as well. Um, yeah, and besides uni, I like to spend time with friends and doing some sport. Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Pascale, and I uh, for this project I looked at the afterlife, which is a fancy word for basically saying, okay, what happens when we stop self-tracking? Uh, in what ways does the data stay with us? In what ways are we permanently changed uh, by self-tracking? So that will be my focus in the first half of uh, this episode. Yeah. 
Indeed. So in our first section, we're going to talk about uh, the personal experiences, the advantages and disadvantages. Um, and yet, uh, my first question to you is actually, do you have personal experience with self-tracking? So have you used any apps or, you know, fitness trackers? Uh, yes, I have some experience with self-tracking. Um, but indeed, I intensified my experience uh, and doing it more actively, doing the uh, doing our marble project. Um, before marble, I used self-tracking apps mainly for sports. Since I often go running, I used to track my pace and distance. Um, with, I think it was called the One Keeper app. And um, yeah, besides tracking your one, uh, the app sends you also notifications and reminders, and um, by that motivates you to fulfill your goals. Um, but actually, I stopped using um, the OneKeeper app like a year ago um, because I just realized that I became too obsessive on like the numbers, on the distance and pace, and um, yeah, running was. Um, was all the time something a uh, fun a fun activity for me but um doing the self tracking it was or became like a bit of a pressure um and moreover um in the marble project i then started with mood tracking for two weeks uh, which was a totally new experience for me because i never um yeah did something like that before and um i realized also becoming more mindful during the time on yeah my personal feelings because um yeah you have uh, each day to think about your mood in a way yeah but maybe uh you can pascal you can tell us more about your experience because i think you will also have some right <laughs> Yeah, um, it's actually funny that you mention uh, mood tracking yet, uh, because I have been using uh, a mood tracking app daily for many years now, actually. Um, and for this project, I stopped using it, uh, which we'll talk about more later. But it was a very, yeah, almost distressing experience to stop, um, because tracking my mood has been so helpful to me in terms of uh, regulating my emotions and being more mindful of my body. Um, but besides that, I've also uh, tracked many other things in my life. So I have uh, a long history of tracking, <laughs> for example, my sleep. Um, for a while, I did my calories or carbs because I did a keto diet. Um, and I actually stopped that, though, because uh, eventually I didn't need it anymore. I reached my goals and uh, also, yeah, I didn't feel like I needed the app anymore, basically. Um, but in general, my experience has been really uh, positive, otherwise I wouldn't have done it for so long. Um, and it really has helped me to be uh, more self-aware, I think. Um, but of course, we are, you know, not the only people in the world. Uh, yeah. So we actually did a focus group uh, for this project. Uh, yeah, do you maybe want to talk a bit about what they said about advantages? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, as I said, we did this focus group with um, people who are self-tracking, who have experience with self-tracking. And I think it was really interesting to get some insights from other people on self-tracking um, and on their experience. And um, yeah, in the focus group, they also mentioned uh, that self-tracking can be really helpful and motivating. Um, and um, yeah, for example, um, they mentioned that um, seeing how many steps they have done in a day or if they have uh, eaten healthily, that all of that motivates them uh, to stay on track. And 
also I experienced it on my own that um, how closing certain cycles on the app can be really satisfying and um, motivates you to reach a goal. Um, yeah, so I think there are definitely uh, a lot of advantages, but I think it's also important um, yeah, to do not forget the negative consequences. Because I agree, Yata, that there definitely are uh, some disadvantages to self-tracking, even though, uh, you know, in my personal experience, I've not really had that much negative, um, you know, experiences. But uh, indeed, uh, for example, uh, when you track your calories so much, um, there's actually studies that it can become like a, an obsessive habit. Uh, so actually... When I did a minor in psychology uh, recently, we also learned about eating disorders. And actually, obsessive, um, you know, calorie counting can really influence these eating disorders and have like really negative health effects because you start really focusing uh, on the numbers a lot. Um, so this focus on data and numbers can become really, yeah, almost detrimental to your health uh, if it, you know, takes over uh, all your thoughts, for example. So um, those are some very extreme, uh, you know, examples. But uh, also in our focus group, uh, the people mentioned how important it is to set more realistic goals. Um, for example, uh, instead of being like, okay, I will run uh, 15 kilometers every day, uh, you know, it's maybe uh, on some days you are more capable of reaching those goals. On other days, uh, your energy is lower, so it's also important to find a balance um, in uh, yeah, whatever you do and whatever you self-track. Um, and what I found interesting uh, in the focus group is also that they mentioned that uh, comparison, comparison to other people can become uh, a bit yeah, unhealthy because you start comparing, uh, especially with these apps, because a lot of them have, like, for example, Uh, features that you can share on social media and you can uh, compare with other people or with your friends and if you start comparing yourself to other people that can become a bit of a yeah almost competitive or toxic mindset because you start to um, evaluate yourself based on what other people have achieved rather than what you are capable of achieving and what you um, you know what is healthy and good uh, for you. Um, do you have any thoughts yet about uh, these rather, you know, negative aspects uh, and the amount of data and how much influence it has? Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so I think, um, yeah, that was also something that was mentioned in our focus group um, because, um, yeah, the, the, the discussion there was also regarding becoming more aware and more mindful through self-tracking versus becoming too aware. And I think there's the point... Um, there always has to be kind of a balance between the uh, two and um, the danger is, and I think the negative aspects of self-tracking can be um, that people start to value the track data over their inner feelings. And um, as you said, that um, yeah, the numbers and quantitative uh, uh, yeah, quanti uh, data that they, um, yeah, step in the foreground and um, um, yeah through reducing um, their value to the quantitative data users could also at the same time reduce by that their intuitive thinking abilities and um, doing the marble project I 
yeah, did my um, research actually in the part of the, in this intuition part, and um, I researched, um, yeah, which impact self tracking technologies have on intuition, and I, um, yeah, think, um, yeah, we will um, talk a bit more about that uh, um, in the next section. back um uh, now yeah we have already talked about our personal experience with self-tracking as well as some advantages and some disadvantages um but as already mentioned um we will now set a bit our focus on um the influence self-tracking has on our intuition and uh, on mindfulness um and a current debate among society, but also in the academic realm, is regarding losing your intuitive thinking about abilities um, by solely focusing on numbers, um, or even enhancing, extending, extending your inner senses. Um, and yeah, there are also movements like the quantified self movement which describes how people increasingly datafying the self um, into a quantified self and simply focusing on numbers. Um, uh, yeah, and it's often explained how self-tracking pushes users to think and predefined standards um, and also how rich or complex phenomena were being categorized and simplified, which can also... Um, yeah lead to negative consequences to give some examples maybe um calories were often described as a proxy for health or mood scores as a proxy for mental well-being um yeah pascal since you have very much as experience with self-tracking as you <laughs> already mentioned um have you experienced something like that uh, thanks for the question, Jette. I think um, for me it really depends on the application. So let's see, with my mood tracking um, app that I've been using for two years now, um, I think it really helps me to be more mindful uh, of my emotions and it really helps me to... Um, I have like an evening routine, for example, and I begin to... Uh, I have a timer at, you know, eight o'clock in the evening. I sit down. I uh, really take the time to fill in my mood and really reflect on how my day went. And um, I think that has really helped me to um, be more aware of what I'm feeling um, every day. And it really helps me to have a quiet moment of, okay, being with myself, uh, being with the application, of course, as well. Uh, and really, yeah, thinking about me and myself, essentially. But indeed, uh, when I used to do um, 
calorie counting, uh, carb counting. I had a bit of, you know, different uh, effects because I felt like I kept thinking in terms of uh, the, for example, the carbs, like how many carbs was I uh, ingesting um, rather than thinking, okay, is this food healthy? Um, because it's a bit weird, but like there's foods that you can eat um, that are very low in carbs, but are not necessarily healthy. Like, uh, for example, a meat burger has very uh, low carbs. Um, so technically it would fit into the diet. Um, but would it be really healthy to eat uh, a burger every day, for example, even if it fits your goals? So there was a bit of a mismatch between my uh, intuitive, you know, knowledge of, okay, uh, Eating these specific foods, even though they fit my goals, wouldn't be necessarily healthy for me, even though the app technically tells me that, yes, uh, you can eat these things and it fits your goals. So, yeah, I think uh, sometimes there can be a bit of a difference between what you intuitively, intuitively know and what the app is telling you. Um, in the uh, focus group we did, actually, that's now that I think about it, we also, uh, some people mentioned that there's a, um, that they became very in tune with the app data indeed. So um, uh, I know one person, for example, said that they used a running app a lot. Uh, and at some point they knew that they were running 10,000 steps uh, in a certain one without actually looking at the app. So in a sense, um, I think you can really connect to the app, connect to the data and become uh, have that become part of your intuition in a sense if that makes uh, but yeah so um, what are your personal thoughts on that yeah I think uh, the, yeah really interesting insights that you uh, gave us um, so I think um, in the focus groups I for example mentioned um, yeah something like um, I think someone um, um, use self-tracking for sport and um, he me mentioned that yeah, one day he felt good, had a, a good workout day, um, but the statistics uh, show that yeah, he did uh, worse than before or the last time. Um, and then he was unconsciously thinking um, what to do to reach last week's results and maybe um, not feeling so good anymore. Um, and I think this was a really interesting example because that was maybe a, an example showing how um, he, yeah he um, values the data over his inner feelings and um, yeah reduces um, his uh, uh, yeah reduces um, it to um, the data instead of yeah his personal. Um, feeling and um, also I um, experienced something like that on my own um, and yeah I think uh, in that way it can become yeah kind of dangerous also um, and I think it's always important to still find the balance um, yeah maybe you like uh, to share your experience with that as well Pascal uh, not so much my own experience, yeah. but now actually that you mentioned the focus group yeah. uh, a bit more. Um, there was actually uh, a very interesting discussion that went quite like on quite a bit um, where somebody said, oh, yeah, but, you know, 
you have all this knowledge, you have all this data from your self-tracking, but actually, what if you become too mindful and too self-aware? Uh, that's something you mentioned in the first section already, but here it was more like um, when you feel good in the moment, you know, you've done your... Uh, your, your, you've run your steps, for example. Um, but there are also self-tracking devices that, for example, uh, like measure your blood pressure, right? Uh, what if you feel good about yourself in the moment, but then your device actually tells you that your blood pressure is too high? Now, and in the focus group, there was a very interesting discussion of, okay, uh, is that good or bad that the device tells you that? Because on one hand, okay, yes, you uh, have this knowledge that the app is telling you, okay, there's something not quite right with you. Um, so maybe that's something you want to check out in the future, uh, want to uh, maybe meet a doctor with. But on the other hand, um, that makes you feel worse about yourself because you feel good now, but apparently you shouldn't feel good about yourself right now um, because the app is telling you there's something wrong. And I think that has implications not only for you in the present, but also you in the future, because it can make you really paranoid um, about yourself. Um, and you will constantly think, okay, what if uh, my blood pressure is too high now? What if, you know, in five years, uh, something will go terribly wrong with me? Um, and, you know, it, it can really cause this type of paranoia. It's almost like a data overload in a sense, like you have so much information from uh, these apps that, you know, what do you do with this information? Um, to which extent can you analyze and interpret this information and in which ways does it really um, affect how you think about yourself, both now and both, you know, in the future and uh, for the future. So uh, I think that was a really, really interesting insight that we had from the focus group. Um, but yeah, maybe, uh, Jette, you have something to add? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think um, as well that um, this was really interesting because I think um, personally I associated mindfulness with something positive. I always thought being mindful is, yeah, um, yeah, a good <laughs> way. Uh, or, yeah, but in the focus group, indeed, they mentioned the example of um, yeah, mindfulness not always being solely a good thing and can have negative uh, effects of being too aware um, and um, yes what frequently was mentioned in the academic realm um, is that it's really important to really make sense of the track data uh, and to um, critically questioning um, reflecting and, anal and analyzing on your own um, yeah, what you are doing um, with the results and um, yeah, so that you um, self-track in a healthy way, uh, so to say. Um, and I believe by then self-tracking could enhance people's intuitive thinking um, abilities and um, making us mindful in a positive way um, yeah, but it's always important um, uh, to reflect and not, um, yeah, solely relying on the data. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but um, I think in the next part we will then more talk about what happened if you, yeah, stop with self-checking and, um, 
yeah, looking forward to that. To, we've talked a lot about okay uh, self-tracking what does it do to you uh, having all these devices count your steps count um, you know track your calories for example but something that really interests me personally and I think uh, might be interesting for everybody is what happens actually after you stop self-tracking because there's a point um, even with me you know I tracked my calories for like a year but eventually I thought okay Uh, maybe it's time to stop. Um, and since I had that experience, I wanted to explore that uh, within this project. So actually, um, it's an extremely interesting topic. Um, maybe I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, like I read a lot of literature on uh, it. Um, for example, uh, somebody else uh, did a study on kind of an autoethnography, basically. So he really looked at his own experiences with uh, self-tracking and then also stopping. And he looked, uh, he counted his calories. And a very striking quote that he said was, he can't unknow the weight of things. So he, you know, after weighing all his foods um, for almost, you know, two years or something, he really internalized these food behaviors. Like if he goes to the store, he really knows, okay, that... Um, you know, carton of milk has this and that uh, many calories, this and that many carbs, and you just have this knowledge uh, and your body kind of remembers, even if you no longer use the app uh, to like say, okay, this has that and that many calories, your body remembers. Um, so really big theme that was really striking to me was this increased uh, almost bodily awareness that you gain from self-tracking. Um, like an increased sensitivity to your own body uh, to self-tracking. Um, now, for example, uh, like I said earlier, I also counted my calories for a while and I have the same experience as this guy in the literature. Um, so, you know, when I counted my carbs uh, for a year, uh, I still know, even though that was uh, almost two years ago, I still know that if I go to the store that like 100 grams of strawberries have like eight grams of carbs. What do I do with that knowledge now? Not really anything, but I still have it. Um, same with milk. Uh, I know almond milk has less carbs than cow milk, but more than soya milk. It's very, 
I don't know, what, what do I do with this uh, data? Um, but still stays with me. Um, and uh, that's also interesting in the focus group. They mentioned that, uh, for example, there are also skills that you still have. When you go, when you start running for like a year or so, you, even if you stop uh, tracking your steps, you still have the skill of running. So yeah, for me, it was really interesting to look at um, what stays with us uh, after this, um, after we stop, basically. Do we really stop? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Jette? Yeah, indeed. I think it's a really interesting topic because many people just um, are thinking about the self-tracking, but what actually happens after that. Um, and um, I also um, think it was interesting what you um, uh, just uh, mentioned with the unknown, <laughs> that yeah, you um, simply remember everything. Um, because I think, um, yeah, it's kind of maybe was kind of the same um, for me um, with um, my uh, um, self-tracking experience with the OneKeeper app um, because I think I also um, don't forget um, how long um, uh, a certain uh, uh, yeah a certain uh, running um, um, distance was and I yeah actively thought about the numbers um, and couldn't forget that um, a while after stopping uh, self-tracking. But also I think uh, what was interesting in the focus group um, is that one participant mentioned um, that, or that there's a difference between stopping because you want to stop and stopping because you have to stop. Um, and yeah, because I think uh, uh, one participant mentioned that it becomes difficult to stop uh, suffering when you're really used to it um, because, yeah, um, they mentioned feeling empty um, when a device suddenly breaks. So it was not um, his own decision to stop uh, self-tracking, but yeah, it was <laughs> the decision of technology in a way. Yeah, for sure, because uh, I think I mentioned at the beginning that I actually stopped self-tracking um, my moods uh, for this exp uh, experiment, like within this Marvel project. Um, and indeed, like I have the same experience of like feeling a bit empty, like uh, our focus group um, participant. So because I didn't make the decision to stop, right, I suddenly, you know, from after two years of self-tracking my mood, I just suddenly was like, okay, now two weeks of nothing. Um, and I found it a quite distressing um, experience because I, on one hand, uh, I had this, you know, established evening routine. Uh, it really had become a habit to me to really sit down every evening and do this. And I remember the first like day of the experiment, uh, just sitting down and thinking, oh, like getting the notification on my phone actually and being almost like automatically wanting to, you know, do it, but then remembering that I can't. And uh, over, you know, these two weeks, I really started to realize just how um, dependent I had become on this app, uh, which sounds a bit weird because it's just mood tracking, right? Um, but for me, it really had become such a habit that I suddenly felt like I had lost something. Um, and I really started to realize also that uh, for me, it really had other functions other than just mood tracking in a sense, because it also... Uh, was kind of a memory extension of myself because 
in these apps you have like overviews of okay uh, on these days you feel happy on these days you feel sad and actually uh, like after three days or so I realized oh I actually don't remember if I felt happy last week which is a bit sad right so because this app just remembers everything for me um, so indeed if you just suddenly stop it can be quite yeah distressing but on the other hand, um, indeed, like I, when I stopped my calorie counting, I didn't really feel guilty or anything because it was a conscious decision. Um, so uh, I think the literature, they call that happy abandonment because you've reached a certain goal, you've uh, successfully formed like habits or something. Um, and that way you can um, just happily stop without any, you know, negative feelings uh, in the long term and because you have developed like a habit of uh, for example knowing how many calories something has or knowing uh, or you know you know going on once regularly um, so indeed it has kind of two sides of a coin on one hand uh, being able to stop uh, and and be happy and successful on the other hand becoming more aware of okay you're really dependent on it when it's suddenly gone um, yeah, and but I think it's also what also is really interesting um, is that um, after the self-tracking experience, um, the self might not be the same anymore um, because you might have some habits. Um, it might be consciousness or unconsciousness um, that evolve afterwards. And um, I think. Um, I also read um, one article uh, uh, about that, and I think it's really interesting um, that through technology you can, um, yeah, build up habits that actually stay in the long term, even if uh, stopping the actual activity. Yeah, I think for me one of the key takes away, uh, takeaways of you know reading all this literature, doing the focus group. Uh, doing the self-tracking experiment and this whole project is really just realizing how entangled you become with technology um, and how present technology is uh, in our in our lives, even in, in, you know, kind of in our bodies, like our bodies remember um, what we did with technology. So it's kind of like, an, yeah, uh, a, even in its absence, it's still present in a way. Uh, so for me, that's really this entanglement uh, that we can't really escape technology, that we are not the same anymore. It's really one of the key takeaways for me. Uh, what are some of your key takeaways from this whole, you know, self-tracking journey? Yeah, so um, before the Marble Project, um, I, yeah, only self-tracked, um, yeah, a bit, but I, yeah, don't have a lot of experience. And um, after that, um i really realized um yeah the effects in uh, self-tracking has on our body and on our intuitive thinking um because i think it was really interesting um to see how you can really um yeah quantify it yourself by solely focusing on numbers um and on um yeah, and by that maybe lose yeah your um, senses and um, I think thereby it 
is really important to use the technology in a reflexive and thoughtful way. Um, and yeah, the, this uh, um, yeah is a remi reminder to everyone uh, who may uh, yeah make use of self-tracking technologies um, because they can be extremely advantageous and they uh, yeah are really a great technology and um, can be really motivating. Um, but um, it's important that people still being able to make sense of the data um, they are tracking um, because then, yeah, it can, as I said, have a positive influence and maybe extend people's sen senses. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but otherwise, yeah, it can be the other way around and um, can have a negative and reductionist influence and, um, yeah, We want to um, prevent uh, losing our intuitive thinking abilities. Um, yeah, thank you, Jette. I think that was really uh, such an interesting section on personal experiences. Um, but Tara, do you maybe want to introduce uh, what comes after this? Yes, thank you, Pascal and Jette. That was a super interesting talk. I know we've been talking about this for a few months now, but just like hearing it now has been a very nice refresher of um, just the personal experiences of self-tracking, what they mean for the, what self-tracking means for intuition, for mindfulness, and also what happens when we stop self-tracking and how it never actually really stops fully. Uh, it's kind of with us. Um, and in the other half of our episode, in the second hour, we'll be touching kind of zooming in, um, looking beyond the individual in a way, and looking more at data, at companies, and also the future of self-tracking. Uh, we will start with data in the first hour, uh, in the first part of the second hour. Um, and I think that's really also a timely and relevant topic because tomorrow marks the fifth anniversary of the GDPR, General Data Protection, uh, and we'll start with some talk about data in the next hour. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. I have to say, I'm really glad you're here because I've been waiting for a long time to have like a small student group like you who's actually focusing on such a relevant topic, especially from uh, FASOS, Arts and Social Science faculty, where you indeed study the interaction of technology and society and the other way around. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for sharing your personal experiences and also your, your research work. For the audience, uh, this is Student Radio Maastricht on RT 107.5 FM. In the studio, we have students from Bachelor of Digital Society. And before we go, indeed, into the next section, please stay tuned. We will leave you with this amazing tune made in Maastricht by John J.H.W. Weilacher. This one is called Song 3 from the album Living Room Live Recordings. You can also find it on, on Bandcamp. Enjoy. Enjoy.